Hi everyone, and welcome to How to College for First Gens, a podcast where we get together with some of our friends and fellow first gens to discuss experiences associated with being a first-generation college student. My name is Norma Torres Mendoza. I'm one of the podcast hosts and also a first gen. I'm extremely excited for today's episode since it is a continuation of an episode we did in the past called First Gen Self-Starters. On today's episode, we will have my good friend Tiffany. Tiffany is someone who has taken every opportunity. Her impact, ideas, and execution have no borders. Let's take a listen to how this first gen moved from Louisiana to Houston for college, and now she lives in Northern Ireland. Yes, you heard that correctly. She lives in Northern Ireland, where she has opened her own coffee and bunkhouse. Let's get started. Hi, Tiffany. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Norma. How are you? Good. Tell our audience where you are located and how's the weather there right now? I'm located in the northeast coastal region of Northern Ireland in the UK. And it's about 50 degrees and raining right now. So very typical Irish autumn weather. That sounds actually quite beautiful, given that in Houston, Texas, we don't actually experience the fall here. I didn't realize that until I went away for graduate school, but our fall is quite not such fall. I don't know if you would agree. Definitely. No, I mean, I grew up in Louisiana, so um, I did not grow up with fall or anything that looked like it. I mean, maybe fall for one day a year. Um, so no, it's definitely been different living here and getting to experience the seasons differently. Don't really have much of a summer here. So, so that's, that's the trade-off. Summers at 100 plus Fahrenheit. I mean, I think that's an easy trade-off for most people. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's certainly perks to living here. Such a beautiful place to live. Um, it's uh, a bit like living on a postcard, just with the scenes and, and the sort of local rural life. It's, it's pretty beautiful. Well, I'm extremely excited to have you on the podcast today. So just to give our audience a little bit of background, Tiffany and I met when I was a senior at Rice University. And Tiffany was working for Deloitte Consulting at that time. And she emailed me and said, hey, I think you might like this job. Would you like to meet? I am coming into town. I think it was a Thursday and I'm available at 10 p.m. And I thought, oh, my goodness, who in the world is this person that's willing to have a conversation with me at 10 p.m. on a Thursday about getting an amazing job? So just so the audience knows, I admire Tiffany in so many ways. And I see her sort of like a life mentor. And so I am excited to have her here. But Tiffany, just so that the audience gets to know you a little bit, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? A little bit about your first gen story. Yeah, so I grew up in rural Louisiana, southwest Louisiana, the, the heel of the boot, if you know what the state, state looks like. And I am a first generation college student. I also went to Rice. I was class of 2011. My parents didn't go to college and they were very supportive of me going to college, but had really no idea how to advise me. So yeah, so then I went to, to Rice and graduated in 2011 and I've been in the workforce now for nine years. I'm currently the owner and manager of Twilight Coffee and Bunkhouse here in Northern Ireland. Yeah, so let's take that apart a little bit. I want to dig in a little bit more towards your family. So tell us, what was that conversation like the moment that you were like, I'm actually going to go to Rice and your parents maybe had never been to Rice, this whole 
college concept was so different. What was going through their minds in your mind? I know this is quite a bit ago, but as you were going through the actual process. My parents were divorced, so I was getting, you know, two different stories at the time. My mom was actually very supportive of Rice because it was she and my stepdad. I had actually been on the campus in Houston a couple of times as a kid. My mom really fell in love with the, with the beauty of the place and obviously one of the best for me for my academic aspirations. And, and Rice certainly fit the bill there. So my mom was really pushing Rice, whereas I think my dad kind of hoped I would stay closer to home in Louisiana maybe take advantage of some of Louisiana's tuition aid programs that the state provided for, for certain types of high school students and to, to, to do things that were just maybe a little bit more conservative in, in my approach to where I went to school. But I had my heart set on rice, so I had to win my dad over. Not, not that he would have stopped me, but it wasn't his first choice for me. But in hindsight, I think he understood exactly why I ended up there, whereas my mom was pretty much gung-ho Rice Owls fan from the start. As you were going through Rice, did you have this sort of feeling that like you were interested in business? So how did you land into this job at Deloitte? Did you always know you were a a business-minded person? No. So I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. That includes the start of my senior year, whenever the sort of business recruiting season started for me. I I didn't have an an idea in the world of what I wanted to do. And Rice, it has, you know, no undergraduate business program. So I took a, a handful of classes, but I really didn't know what Deloitte or the business world truly entailed. I seriously considered going into academia Even as late as early semester, senior year, I was looking at whether or not I did an honors thesis to go into academia, was ultimately guided away from that idea by a professor who was going to sponsor my thesis. But she said, I think maybe it sounds like you need to go and get out into the world a little bit and get some working experience. And then if you find that that problem that you want to solve in academia, you can come back into academia. And I haven't, and I have had no pull to do so. So she was ultimately right. And, and she was the person who, who pushed me in that direction. Similar to my relationship with you, Norma, I had a, a mentor who was the year above me at Rice and we were in a business class together. And she's the one who told me about Deloitte. She'd accepted an offer and was going in the following autumn. And this was my junior year. And she said, I think you'd really like this firm. So if you want to come to the recruiting sessions next fall, I'll um, I'll speak to you there. And she did. And she pulled me through the interview process. And, um, and then I ended up at Deloitte. And she was my onboarding advisor at Deloitte. And then the following year, I met you. Or a couple years later, I met you. And uh, I was your onboarding advisor at Deloitte, just sort of passing the torch. Well, I had no idea about that story. That is fascinating because we have often talked about the power of mentors and sponsors for first-gen students. And this is a premier example of how it gets started, but also how it continues as generations go through. So that makes me very, very happy to hear. So tell us a little bit about your experience at Deloitte. What skills do you think you gained there? And then ultimately, why did you leave? Deloitte was a brilliant crash course in business 101. I learned so much about so many different types of businesses and so many different types of roles within businesses. And so I think that was a really, a really valuable experience. I spent five years at Deloitte and they pride themselves on being the number one place to launch a career as they're frequently ranked. And, and they're not afraid of that reputation of being a place where you launch a career, but you don't necessarily keep your career forever at Deloitte. Um, and that's certainly what they were for me. 
I worked in a fairly well entrenched space in Deloitte um, at the start of my time there. I was in consulting, but the particular um, area of consulting I was in, it was very well-trodden path. It was very much a well-trodden path where it was very hard to stand out. It was a lot of lifting and shifting of existing materials and, oh, I'm going to a new client and like I need this kind of document. Well, you never create that from scratch. You always email somebody and ask them if they can send you theirs from their past client. So a lot of the work, especially at the lower level, involved taking documents from previous clients and modifying them and adjusting them and, and, and sort of rejigging them to meet a new client. The second half of my time at Deloitte, I had transferred internally to a different area of consulting, which was a newer practice. And I found it so much easier to make a mark there where, sure, problem solving was more difficult because there weren't all these resources that existed because it was a new practice for us. But at the same time, I got to make and create and, and be the, the source of some of those documents that were then handed along through the organization. And and that was sort of my first kind of taste of, oh, wow, I really like to kind of carve out my own space here. I really like this opportunity here to make these things or create these tools that the rest of the firm can use. So I would say that was sort of my shift gradually out of feeling comfortable or feeling perfectly satisfied with just the sort of the sort of normal nine to five and starting to feel like, oh, wow, I really like being in this new sort of growing practice where I'm really able to leave my own mark. That is super interesting because if if we begin to draw and connect the dots for a lot of the folks that we've had on the podcast who do have this innovator entrepreneurship mind is this need and want to leave a mark and this need and want to do your own thing and to carve your own space as you put it so then tell us what happens next after that so then you decide I really like this feeling of producing something so what does that translate to well I wish I could say it was all career driven but uh, a lot of it was personal life I met my now husband Uh, he was a northern Irish man living in Houston he happened to be uh, employed at one of the, the clients I was staffed at and some of our mutual friends introduced us. And after living in Houston together for over a year and a half, his expat role was was winding up at Hess uh, at the company he was at. And we decided to make the move back to his hometown so that he could be closer to his family. His mom and dad were entrepreneurs of a sort. They had their own business already running here. So, and he thought maybe he could come back and give them a hand as they were sort of getting older and and approaching, you know, what should be retirement for them, but, you know, they were nowhere near it. So we came back first off with the mindset of expanding his parents' business to justify a salary or two additionally coming out of the business. And then opportunities arose here um, in our local community to, to purchase a building in an excellent location. And we started to sort of scheme with between the two of us of what might we do with such a building. And given Northern Ireland's reputation for sort of a a budding tourist industry with Game of Thrones filming locations and all that, we really saw, saw an opportunity there. So I say the word opportunity, and that's really how I describe myself and my career moves. It's been very opportunistic. It's just I've not always had a strong vision of where I plan to end up. It's that wherever I end up, I try to grow where I'm planted. So this is super interesting because what you're saying is you actually did not have this vision of the bed and breakfast and the coffee shop that you have, but you had a space. And then that's when you all began to brainstorm, what do we do with this space, right? And what were some of the ideas that you all were playing with? And then how did you land to the idea that you have today? This 
beautiful big old building from the 1850s uh, came up for sale for a, a, what we think now is a ridiculously good price. You know, as we as we viewed the building, we kind of were starting to think about what does the village need? Our village is called Carnlock. And we were just sort of tossing ideas, you know, we need a seafood restaurant because we live right on the coast and there's no seafood restaurant. Okay, maybe that's not quite in our wheelhouse. Then, you know, this sort of idea of a coffee shop and some sort of budget accommodation felt a little bit more like something that, that fell within our immediate interests and skill set. The business his parents were running that we were working to expand at the time is a holiday park. So it's, it's essentially a, a place where people from mostly Belfast come and they have like a, a, a caravan, they would call it, for, for a second home. So tourist accommodation loosely was an area we were already kind of familiar with. And we got tied into some local business groups here where different representatives from different businesses in the tourist industry in Northern Ireland can meet and sort of uh, collaborate. And just through those conversations really came to, to feel strongly about our idea to have a coffee shop and an upstairs above it to have budget accommodation, because that's not something that Carnock has. And so eventually, after doing some very rough back of the envelope calculations, we decided to buy the building. To me, the most interesting part of it all was that, like many other innovators and entrepreneurs, you saw that there was a gap to be filled, whether it was a seafood restaurant or a coffee shop or a bunkhouse. And I think that's how a lot of people get started beginning to think through what is the need. So I was actually very, very lucky to go and visit you all and see Twilight Coffee and Bunkhouse. But to me, it was crazy that there was no other coffee shop in town. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and why do you think that is? And are you all maybe creating a new wave of people that are interested in going and sitting down and having a cup of coffee? So tell me about the cultural aspect piece of it. Yeah, no, this is, um, this is a, it's a good point. And I think you, you've made a point there about, you know, seeing a gap and filling it. And I think that that for me was a, was a real eye-opener about going your own way and starting your own business. As I've never really seen myself as a, a visionary. I've never been the big ideas person. My husband is, um, which makes us a really good team. But I, I'm the executor. I'm the one who puts pen to paper or puts the rubber to the road, whatever whatever metaphor you like, and makes sure things get done. So this, this idea didn't have to be radical. You know, coffee shop is not a radical idea. They exist all over the world. Accommodation is not a radical idea. But for Carnlock, it was radical. And for Carnlock, it wasn't something that existed. But it wasn't, but it was something that we saw that the market needed. Specifically, coffee in Northern Ireland is, specialty coffee is on the rise in Northern Ireland. And by specialty coffee, I mean that we're not just a little mom and pop shop where they make a little instant cup of coffee or pass out a rough cup of tea for you, as you will frequently find in small villages in Northern Ireland. But it was finding a reputable roaster with an ethical an ethical pipeline of products, getting really good equipment and going to be the place where somebody who's a coffee fan comes for a real cup of coffee, which, yeah, no, Carnlock doesn't have anything like that. Like the, the other places that you'll go, you might get a rough brewed cup of coffee or you're very likely to get instant coffee, such as the culture here in Northern Ireland, especially in the rural parts. So specialty coffee is on the rise. It's very trendy right now. And we had to consider because if you look at large cities like Belfast or London or any places like that, like the market's actually approaching saturation. So we had to consider for ourselves, are, are we jumping on a sinking ship here? But rural Northern Ireland is still a lot further behind 
So we thought, no, this is a way that we can build up our local community and make it somewhere worthwhile. And all that sort of ties into the growth of tourism in our area. And a village like Carnlock, which has seen a lot of loss of its own local industry, just given modernization and the fact that we've got large grocery stores that deliver here means we don't need a vegetable shop or a butcher. (laughs) We've got Tesco, which will deliver out to our houses. It was kind of seeing that there's there's a new economy to be built in Carnlock around tourism and this whole coastal region, they're trying very hard to push it and is trying so hard to grow. But people don't want to come to a village where there's just one hotel and one restaurant and one shop and one attraction. You know, you have to create a critical mass in the area. So for us getting that that coffee shop on the map, but even people will come from a little bit further afield where they're like, no, but Twilight has really good coffee. Like they make a mean flat white. That's kind of what we were that's what we were aspiring to for for the coffee shop. And then the accommodation, you know, to sort of add that that breadth, because what we have here is a, is a nice hotel, uh, a very nice hotel. But what we didn't have was budget accommodation that suits groups or families, which is, is what we sort of aimed for with Twilight. To me, the most beautiful part of this story, Tiffany, is that you all are not just providing amazing coffee. You all are literally, and I guess figuratively, changing the culture of what it means to sit around and, and have a good cup of coffee and build community as you all bring up the economic development of, of this village. And to me, I think those two big pieces speak miles for, for what the success of, of Twilight is. But let me turn it over to you and maybe tell us a little bit of what were some of those success criteria that you all had at the beginning and did, do you think you're meeting them? Yeah, so you've hit on a, a key part for us, which is the social connection part of the business, which obviously in this pandemic has been very hard for us to see, you know, the limitations on, on social interaction. However, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we're going to get past this, we're going to move on. So in a, at the start of it, that was another gap that we had identified in the area, which was other than a pub, there was nowhere to go and meet a friend to, to have a, a small gathering, you know, not over dinner. There was nowhere for a, for a mom's group to go with their babies and their strollers and go and meet and get some social support or older people who didn't want to be in a noisy pub where they can't hear each other. So the social aspect of our business, that has been, yeah, a key, a key indicator for us that we've, that we've had success is that people just like to come and meet for like, let's go down to Twilight and meet for a coffee is a thing that people say. And like, that's just, that's just huge for us. Like, you know, it's not just our family and it's our friends like to come and work there, but then it's people we don't know. A big indicator of, of Twilight even growing beyond us and beyond ourselves is in some of our earlier days, I would say possibly in November or December, I happened to be on the uh, coffee machine as barista. And these two ladies came in and I did not know either of them. I'd never seen them before. And at this point, I've, I've met a lot of local Carnlock people, so I can be relied upon to recognize many. Did not know these women before. And I heard one of them telling her friend about the coffee shop as she was walking through. And she's like, oh, and they have a sunroom back here. And look, you can go through back here. And she was showing off the space as if it was her space. And, and that was really a, a true indicator that it had become a part of the community. It, it had come to belong to the customers as well. When two customers that I didn't even know, one was showing it off to a friend who'd never been there before. So that 
that's been a really, a really huge moment for us. That it was definitely a massive sort of realization for me. A success otherwise, there's a tangible factors like turnover. You know, we're very happy with the way things have gone, even despite the fact that there's been a pandemic. We've managed to serve a lot of customers over the summer. Summer's our busy period. Carnlock is a very seasonal village. So, so you know, those are, those are great things. But yeah, we've built some loyalty. We've got regulars. That means a lot to us as an indicator of success. People who want to keep coming back. And yeah, like we, we don't really get many complaints about our coffee and that's the main thing we do. So good customer feedback, good customer retention, obviously the turnover and the figures there. Our staff have really a really great culture, really great atmosphere. That's a marker of success for me. And then yeah, as we've talked about, just sort of that impact on the community. So you alluded a little bit to this earlier on that Rob, your husband, is sort of the visionary of this. So tell us what has it been like working with your partner, not only your significant other, but also as your business partner. So that'd be part one. And then part two, obviously, not all of this has been grandiose and beautiful, Instagrammable, if you will. (laughs) What are some of those pieces that maybe it's important to share with the world, but maybe did not show the best that, that you all had to offer? So as far as the first part goes, working working with the partner, my, my business partner is also my life partner, and if you will, it's amazing, but it's also extremely challenging. I mean, I think this is somebody that you feel, you know, when you're working with family or with a loved one, you're completely comfortable with that person. And sometimes the boundaries between the personal and the professional get blurred. And sometimes the discussions and the communication style is not as as clearly delineated and healthy as it could be as it would be if you were working you know with a, with a colleague who you, who you don't know very well on a personal level but it's been really amazing like I feel very strongly about the two of us as a team because like I say he is that visionary he's the ideas guy he's got a million ideas at any given time about different ideas for business ventures or ways we can sort of tangentially expand from what we're doing now ways we can improve Twilight's offerings. And um, this is just his brain is just going nonstop. And mine doesn't work that way. I'm really good at execution. I'm really good at operations. I'm good at processes. I'm good at standard operating procedures. Those are the things that really are within my wheelhouse. So together, I, I kind of like to say that he's the one pushing the gas and I'm the one pumping the brakes. But it makes us, you know, you need both to drive a car. So it makes us a really, a really strong team. So yeah, so no, it's been brilliant. Like I, I love it. I love that, you know, our work day involves each other so frequently and that we can spend that time together because because we, we enjoy working together and we enjoy being a part of each other's work days and being a part of each other's work successes. For the second part of the question, as far as things that haven't always gone well, we've been fairly lucky. There's been no massive stumbles. I feel like I just knock on wood whenever I say that right now. Our biggest struggle is actually pandemic related. It's the fact that there's a lot of restrictions in place here in Northern Ireland um, around masks and around social distancing. And there's also a level of awareness that Rob and I have and concern that we have that makes us a lot more strict with our business and a lot more strict with our customers as far as what we what we accept and the processes for, for serving things out that, a, that some of our customers are not used to seeing. Not all businesses are being this particular. We're all drained. Um, everybody, I think, <laughs> across the globe is just drained emotionally and mentally with this whole pandemic. And sometimes it means our frustrations are very high. So when a customer comes in and and it's the millionth customer in this month to ask you how they're supposed to drink coffee with a mask on and you're very just tired of it, it's very tempting, not that we have, but it's very tempting to tell them that you can go elsewhere, please just 
just go somewhere else. So right now, I think there's a, a little bit of a loss of that romance with our customers, you know, where we're like, oh my gosh, we just love our customers and they just love us. And so it, it, that has definitely been a, a frustration of ours. And it's certainly been a drain on, you know, everybody's sort of mental reserves and resources. So that's definitely something that I think we're working through right now. And another one is more where I'm concerned is that I would struggle again with this whole visionary versus executor thing. I struggle to push the business forward. I like to get comfortable and I like to get into a groove and, and we're doing our coffee well and we're doing our baked goods well. I'm very happy with how it's running. We've managed to get ourselves open to seven days a week and we're working late nights. I'm comfortable with that. Whereas, you know, Rob has got this mindset of continuous improvement and continuous growth. And that includes do we change our menu? Do we expand our menu? Do we offer more foods? Do we do we change this? Do we do that? Do we do something different? And I really struggle with that sometimes because that's just not my style. I like to get into my comfort zone and stay there. Whereas, you know, he's always really pushing. So as far as moving the business along, I think that's another area where we definitely need to stay on our toes and really focus on kind of how do we keep growing and, and offering new things because ultimately like you know you, you have to grow and you have to you have to change and you have to keep you know keep yourself fresh and up with the times and bring on new things and try stuff and see what works and sometimes that's very hard for me to do we feel you i mean this this pandemic is crazy just to address the first point it, and i think what we're seeing here in houston at least is obviously hitting the small businesses a lot more so plus and i obviously try to go to like campesinos or any other small coffee shop to be able to do our part whatever we can so here's a shameless plug for buying local and buying from small to medium businesses and then the second piece is i get i get you it is so hard because you you're right it's like things are going well it's it's working and yet though like you want to continue to innovate and you want to continue to offer your customers some type of diversity but I hope you all continue to have those baked goods because they're so good. I can't, I can't even remember how many I ate that day. They were so delicious. <laughs> no, I know we're, um, no, those are, those are definitely doing well. So the only change would be from there if we could bring it in house to, to do it ourselves. But no, for now, um, there's no, there's no, no plans to change our suppliers. <laughs> good, good. Um, so Tiffany here, I'm going to pivot for a second. So you've come such a long way I mean and I mean physically right like you yeah. grew up in Louisiana came to Houston and now you are living in what I consider the one of the most beautiful places in the world in Northern Ireland so let's talk a little bit about how your first gen journey has impacted that physical movement if you will and maybe even how it's impacted in a positive or negative way your entrepreneurship journey I think it's just always been in my personality to to want to go be somewhere else and try something new. I've never really been a homebody and I think being first gen being a first gen college student meant that at some point I was a first gen aspiring college student in high school and, and even before and it did make me a little bit of a black sheep because even when my parents remarried and my step parents, you know, had college degrees, they were from local universities, you know, it's not like they went particularly far for example like I never really had even had Harvard on my radar or anything like that you know like these are schools that I just I didn't even know to aspire to them you know it just didn't even occur to me Rice was about and Rice is an amazing school and I'm so proud to have been accepted and to have gone to that university but I always felt like a bit of a black sheep and I had to kind of figure things out on my own with respect to 
going to university, leaving home and how I would do it and what was available to me and, and completing my application, writing my essays, all of that. I was sort of left to my own devices. And it, it was fine because I was very used to, you know, in that particular aspect, I was very used to charting my own path because I had aspirations for myself that didn't really match up with the local area. I don't think there was a single other person in my high school class who left the state for college and stayed out. I know a couple who left the state, but eventually transferred back to universities closer to home. So I was definitely always a bit of a black sheep. So as far as my my physical move went, it was always within my, my capabilities. I, my dad had sort of a realization when I was working in Houston and he was like, I just realized that you living and working in Houston is possibly the closest you will ever live to me again. And this is before I met Rob and before there was a move to Ireland. But yeah, I can't really promise that I'll come back any closer to home just because you know, there was that, that that sense of being a little bit of a black sheep and, and not necessarily fitting in the community quite as well. Not that I hold any grudges against my hometown. It's a beautiful place, but it's not really a place that I, I aspire to live to or to, to be in, in any kind of long-term situation. So that was always sort of on the horizon for me. Actually, before I met Rob, I was starting to sort of gently explore how I might take a secondment or expat role either with Deloitte or another big professional services firm in London or Dublin or somewhere where the business language was English, of course. But uh, but I was actually already kind of exploring what it would take to move abroad. And it just so happened that I met Rob and he sort of shook up my whole plan. And my uh, my senior manager mentor was like, well, you know, should we talk about this? And uh, I said, oh, actually, let's just put a pause on it for now. I'm perfectly happy in Houston for the minute. So being a first generation college student and did, I would say did, actually serve in some ways for me personally to loosen my roots. And, you know, they talk about you can't have roots and wings. Um, I, I sort of shifted more towards the wings part of things than I than I did towards the roots. That is beautiful. I, I don't think I've ever heard of that roots and wings <laughs> analogy. So you are, in my eyes, more of a wings type of person. Yeah, yes. So and then as far as entrepreneurial goes, that's interesting. So I, I kind of mentioned that my dad wasn't as supportive of me going to Rice and me, me being further from home. And, you know, it was just something he couldn't even really relate to, whereas my mom was very supportive of Rice. But the, the table certainly turned at the time when Rob and I were looking at making this move back to Northern Ireland. And it involved me giving up my job at Deloitte and him giving up his job and potentially not really necessarily having a concrete plan when we got back here, you know, knowing that we would have a source of income, his parents' business and, and getting involved there. We didn't really have a strict plan exactly. Like Deloitte was a backup plan for me. Deloitte Belfast was sort of a backup plan. But that made my mom deeply uncomfortable because I don't think she understood how I could give up that stability, right? So I was first generation college. I, I got this great degree. I got this great job with a great firm. And I think she would have always liked to have seen me stay in the stable machine, if you will. Like, okay, I didn't always have to be at Deloitte, but being a part of a, of a broader machine that existed and would always exist. I think she saw that I was throwing away all the benefits of that degree by sort of launching myself into the abyss, so to speak, with, with no clear plan. So her support definitely dwindled at that point. Whereas my dad, I think, kind of learned early on, like once my mind set to something, 
we'll make it happen. We'll figure it out. And so he kind of came to terms with that whenever I did go to Rice and I did do well and I really thrived there. Took my job at Deloitte and lived in Houston and really thrived there. I think he learned to trust me and to trust my gut and my instinct a lot better. Whereas I think my mom just saw, like, she was very shocked at my sort of approach to turning down or leaving a very stable, you know, non-threatening uh, career choice. So I think being first gen and being first gen to parents who are not entrepreneurial themselves, who are always used to working for a company in an established place, an established way, I think it made me more risk averse as a person. Whereas my husband, who's first gen college with parents who are entrepreneurial, who did own their own business, started their own business from the ground in the middle of the Northern Irish Troubles, which was a, you know, a period of social and economic upheaval in this area. You know, he just has this this more um, risk acceptance approach, and and that's coming from somebody who's an accountant. I mean, he's an accountant and worked as an auditor for a long time, but he's still very very good about assessing risk and and and, and taking on acceptable risks. And and so it's just interesting to see how our different backgrounds made us more or less entrepreneurial, um, whereas I just had no example the way that he did. And that brings up a really interesting point. So what what tips or advice do you have for other first gens? who might be considering leaving their 9 to 5, 9 to 9 p.m. for some of us <laughs> uh, jobs to take this leap of faith and to sort of build your own product or service and to carve out a space for you. But I think some of the things I've learned in this process anyway um, is about knowing your strengths and knowing who you'll need because you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. No person, and I don't, well, maybe there is a person out there, but not many people out there are in one person, that visionary, that executor. And you know, there's a third type called a processor. I was reading an article about this. No one person is all three of those styles. So if you're a visionary and you've got vision, like that's brilliant, but you're going to need a person who helps bring, bring your pipe dream to reality. Alternatively, if you're more like me and you're, you are the executor and you're like, just give me a task, just give me anything, give me a project, give me an idea and I'll start to refine it and make it real. Then you need to find out what that, who that visionary is that you want to attach yourself to. And, and knowing your areas of your strengths, you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. So, so taking the time to learn that about yourself and learn what situations make you uncomfortable and what situations you really, really, really are successful in and try to, try to find those people who, who will match up with you. I, I mean, I, I think it would be extremely hard to try to just do this by myself, being a part of sort of a duo in this case, but also the sort of the broader family or which family in our case, but it could be just community in anybody else's case. Knowing where you need help and where your strengths are is was really important for us uh, and for, for me personally. And then sort of for me, I kind of referenced this earlier, but it's it's really about working with the opportunities that are available to you, where you are or where you want to be. It doesn't have to be a radical idea that literally nobody else has ever thought of. Because I can assure you, loads of people have thought about specialty coffee shops. Yes, if you were trying to start a fashion business in New York City, yeah, you would need to be pretty radical. And that, and that's great if you have that idea. But again, I say about, about really growing where you're planted. Where are you? Where's your community? Where do you aspire for your community to be? And what does that community need? And it might not be the most innovative idea you've ever heard of but one idea leads to another and so trying to fill a gap even if it's with something that doesn't seem all that exciting but is something that you're passionate about then might grow into well now that I'm a part of this industry or now that I'm a business owner in this area I can see 
where there are other gaps and other problems to be solved. But you you don't always know that until you're actually in it. So the point is to get your foot in the door with an opportunity that suits you and suits where you are and suits the market that you have in front of you. And then refine over time, you know, your problem solving approach to other problems. Tiffany, that is extremely helpful. And I think it provides our listeners with a roadmap to begin to follow and fill in for themselves. So I greatly appreciate that. Before we drop off here, if you could tell our listeners where to follow you online, how to find a Twilight Coffee in Bunkhouse, anything that you want to plug in here. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're ever in Northern Ireland, you know where to come, Carnlock. You can uh, find us on Instagram. We are Twilight Antrim Coast or our Facebook is Twilight Coffee and Bunkhouse. So you can give us a follow. We love our space. We think it's pretty pretty cute and trendy and full of plants. We sell really good coffee and we've got great budget accommodation. So if you find yourself traveling in Ireland, don't skip Northern Ireland. It's beautiful. Don't skip the North Coast, but also the Antrim Coast, which isn't quite at the top of the island. Frequently gets overlooked, but it's beautiful and it's worth spending a bit of time in, Norma, as you can report. Oh, for sure. Plas and I are trying to figure out how to get back there as well as soon as (laughs) we're allowed to travel outside of the U.S. But in my opinion, it is, like I said before, one of the most beautiful places on earth. And I've been very lucky that I've traveled to many, many countries. And so I highly recommend it. Highly recommend the coffee. When I was visiting you, we, we went and visited other places to get coffee. And not not that I'm biased and that you are my friend, but I actually thought it was the best cup of coffee that I had while I was traveling up there. And not to mention the biscuits. Oh my gosh, so good. My mouth is watering <laughs> right <good>. now. <laughs> Well, good, Tiffany. We thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. And we look forward to hopefully seeing you in person sometime when we can get our travel plans together to come up to Northern Ireland to see you and Rob. Definitely. Definitely. Glad to glad to be here um, and to spend some time with you. Well, that's it, folks. This has been an amazing conversation. I was so glad to be able to share the story of my good friend and mentor Tiffany with all of you. To me, This is such an inspiring story because the message is loud and clear to my fellow first gents out there. Your dreams and goals should have no limits or borders. If you have an idea, you owe it to yourself to do it. In Tiffany's words, be opportunistic about your life and your career. So I hope that all of you listening out there grow your own wings just like Tiffany did and set yourself free to do what will make you most excited to wake up in the mornings. Until next time.